Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hi. You know that movie you always wanted to see, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I call those black hole films. Everyone has them, and this podcast aims to do something about that. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and every episode I'll be joined by one or more guests to watch a film that at least someone in that group hasn't seen. We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode 26, and I'm joined by returning guest, Chris Ware-Smets, and we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I'm Jeremy. I have not seen it. Uh, I'm Christopher Smets. I have also not seen McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I also know nothing about it, other than the fact it's Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, right? No, you see, you know less than nothing about it, because it's actually Julie Christie. I'm so bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Julie Christie. No, no. And that's only because I read it quick, and it's an Altman film. It's an Altman film. That's all I know. I bought this on a Criterion sale because it's an Altman film, and I like Altman. I know a little bit more than you. I've never seen it. I've seen footage from it. Like, not seen, but like clips on documentaries. Um, I mean, do you want me to tell you what I do now? Is that going to spoil? I don't know. Oh, I, don't I, don't know. know. I don't know any narrative things. Okay, tell me. Yeah, sure. All, all, I mean, do you know that there's that Leonard Cohen songs play a big part in the movie? No. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. Kind of a spoiler. Yeah. That was a big thing at the time, and sort of similar. To, I, I feel sort of similar to like the Cat Stevens songs in um, um, uh, um, Harold Mod. Like I think it was sort of thing where he had a bunch of a bunch of Leonard Cohen songs and decided to sort of score them into this western. Oh. I love which that. Is, which is pretty cool. And um, uh, what else do I know about this movie? I know that I actually read, I saw a really funny piece with Quentin Tarantino talking about it because he was presenting a bunch of movies on, I think, like BBC or, or, or Channel 4 or something in the, in the UK. And he introed them all. And one of them was McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And he told a great story about how he had bought a 35 millimeter print of McCabe and Mrs. Miller and he was going to give it as a gift to Richard Linklater because it's one of his favorite movies. And Tarantino said he didn't like the movie. He had tried to watch it a few times and never liked it and decided the night before he was going to gift it to Richard Linklater. He would try one last time to watch it and he actually got all the way through it and when it was over he was like, and I'm going to keep the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving it to Richard. He decided he liked it. He decided he liked it, and he decided he was going to keep it. So then he was presenting it as part of this uh, this little Tarantino film festival, which right. I think is pretty funny. Yeah, well, he's got a huge 35 collection. He does have a yeah, crazy 35 collection. Maybe one day we'll get invited over there to do... See, that's the real cool screening room to go right. to. <laughs> right. I've got, a, I've got a decent projector yeah. and a nice-sized wall, yeah. but uh, not, a, not a 35 millimeter. I think he actually has a little theater in his house with theater seats and everything. As you do. As you do when, the, when you're in those situations. Yeah, as a you know award-winning filmmaker, I debated putting theater seats in here, but I thought they wouldn't be able to fit. This is I gotta say for those listening, it's a very comfortable couch. There's also that. Yeah, it's a really. Super it's, it's a dangerous couch. sometimes couch to watch movies on late night. Pass out. I, I I've noticed that I've been known to nod off. Yeah. During a, a movie late at night. Yeah, I'm concerned about that, but I think I'll be okay. I have some water. I'll poke you. Yeah, yeah. Blow, just give, get a long stick. Yeah. That's pretty much all I know. Um, but we can talk about more stuff afterwards. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I kind of I. Even once we decided um, to watch this tonight, I was tempted to just quickly even just read the back of the cover. I was like, no, you know what? I know it's so, so rare yeah. you can just go in really, really blind yeah. to a movie that I kind of would just like to let it wash over me. I'm excited about that. It's been something that I've wanted to see for a while. It's one of those films that pops up at rep theaters every now and again, and I, I would love to have seen it on 35, um, which is whatever it is, what it is. I've actually owned it on DVD for a few years and just never gotten around to watching it, so it's cool to watch it like this and get to get to talk about it right afterwards. Alright, so let's dive in. Let's, let's dive in. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Alright, we just finished. Yeah. First thoughts. I dug, I dug it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was way funnier than I thought it would be. I was gonna, that was going to be my first comment to you was that I, I've never been told that McCabe and Mrs. Miller was funny. Yeah, uh, I always thought it would be kind of slow and kind of weird. I never thought of it as being a movie with a lot of funny lines and funny moments in it. Warren Beatty is a beast in the film. Yeah, and not the way you would expect. Like he's just kind of a, not a schlub, but what he's charismatic in a really weird way. Yeah, but isn't that, that, I feel like it's kind of his thing, right? In a lot of 70s movies, sure. especially. Yeah, he's sort of this... 
he's got this... I don't know. I don't want to say it's aloofness, but there's a bit of that. Yeah. There's a bit of... Uh, uh, he's he's very much the antithesis of a sort of, uh, you know, the kind of like leading man that had come in in like previous decades. He's not like a like a Paul Newman. He's not like a, you know, even. Which like is he's, he's definitely like he's not like a he's not like a, <clears throat> a Burt Lancaster or something. He's very, or Eastwood. He's 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 he sort of kicks against that. Which is perfect for what Altman is trying to do here. Yeah, I mean, he's following up Mash. With this, right? Yeah. Or MASH has come before this. And MASH, he always famously said, was a war movie without a war. Mm-hmm. And this is a Western without any of the conventions of a Western. Yeah. You know, the lead character is not heroic. You know, he's not really... He comes in after he goes and sees a lawyer. He comes back and has all these... Well, I'm going to save the town. I'm going to yeah, fight with yeah, a small yeah. man. But those are ideas that were just put in his head. He's parroting that. Oh, yeah. You know, he's not actually out to save the town. He would have gladly taken... You know, you see him just backing down and becoming like that scene when him and the the seven foot tall guy with that what was his name? I don't know. Uh, Butler. Butler. I love that, and I didn't even that know, scene I, was yeah, amazing. Amazing scene. Just watching him just sit there and just talk himself into, and the guy, the guy doesn't say a word to him. He's just listening. Yeah. And just the power struggle in that scene. Yeah. Was you just felt so bad for him? You're like, just stop. Stop what you're doing. You're just making yourself look so bad. Yeah, the squirming. <clears throat> it's pretty amazing to watch him. Uh, they shot in Vancouver. I was going to say, because I thought it was Canada, because we have a few Canadian actors popping up in it. It's true. Like Wayne Robson. Wayne Robson, uh, Michael Don, Murphy. Don, yeah, uh, who's not Canadian, but he lives here now. Oh, I thought he was Canadian. No, I think he's from... Oh, where's he from? Some, he's from somewhere in the States, but he's... Okay. Yeah, but he's... Uh, but he's like an Altman regular. I mean, he used to do he's an Altman TV regular. shows for Altman back yeah, in the 60s. Yeah, he did 10 or 88. And Even before that, the way he would do, like, I think, like, I want to say, com- not combat. Maybe it was combat. Some of those old shows that Altman would direct back in the day. Right, and Shelley Duvall is here. She's one of Altman's regulars. It's got to be one of her first things. I don't think... I, I thought he discovered her when she did... Isn't she in Nashville? Yes. Yeah. I, I want to say yes. I feel. I thought that was her first thing, but yeah, he thought. Well, he, yeah. she was in Three Women with him. Yeah. Um, and no, Popeye. Famously. Popeye, of course. Yeah. What a bizarre career this man has. When you think about all yeah. like Popeye versus Three Women. Yeah. Like the same. You've seen Three Women. You know what? I've never have. I've always wanted to see that. I won't say too much. It's psychedelic. Yeah, that's what I've heard. It's a weird movie, but it's worth seeing. It's worth yeah. checking out. Um. What was the thing? So, uh, the ending, mm-hmm. that giant snowstorm, I was just reading uh, that we took a quick bathroom break, and so I was just leafing through the, <laughs> yeah. the Criterion has these amazing booklets inside of it. The ending was improvised. Really? During a freak snowstorm they had while they were shooting. He's like, get out there, let's but shoot. They just decided to shoot all that stuff with him wandering through the village. Yeah. I'm sure they had some kind of showdown planned. Yeah. But it was not during a freak snowstorm. Well, that makes sense, because it, it seems to me for a lot of it... Well, how do you plan that? How do you plan it? Well, there's also seemed like there was an optical for a lot of it, a snow optical in front of the lens because mm-hmm. it was the same kind of like snow pattern. So it must have been that they shot that uh, that snow showdown and then and then decided just to apply the snow effect to everything else so that it would match. Yeah. But it's pretty incredible. I mean, this has got a. It, this looks like it was. I mean, as beautiful as as it often is, it looks like it was probably miserable to shoot. The amount of like ice and mud and snow and it just feels. It's so there's something so tactile about it. Yeah, it feels so authentic. It feels to me like what the West probably felt like. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it, you. Which I think of that when I was watching Seven Samurai for the first time. Yeah, just like have you seen? No, it's also I wanted to come for that. Yeah, there's this amazing. I won't ruin too much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's this amazing uh, battle. It's, and people in and the during, rain. In the rain. Yeah. And there's people like on horses. Yeah. And you're watching, going, "How is this safe? There's no way." <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's what you watch this, and you're like, "Where do you put the dolly track? Where you like all everything? You're just you, you uh, imagine you're shooting, you're covered in mud the whole time. It looks like they're and and I mean, they must have been in the middle of nowhere. It's not like they're shooting where it's you know you walk like ten feet back into the bush and the units there. It feels like it's in the middle of. The, the complete wilderness. Yeah, I assume they built the entire set. That's also amazing to me. That also adds to the authenticity. And, and, <clears throat> and again, that makes it feel like, you know, the way that people in 
And I was actually, just as an aside, I was very surprised when there's the funeral scene and you see the, the gravestone that says 1902. Yeah, you thought it was, I was earlier? I thought it was a lot of others in the 1800, mid-1800s or... Uh, right, because it has that... I mean, it's amazing to think that when this movie was... Well, it had that engine car earlier on, so that... Steam engine. That yeah. triggered me to that it was yeah. turn of the century. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, but I guess it still feels like, you know, this idea of, of people going out and... Um, uh, forging their way across America and just hammering towns together wherever they go. Yeah, and you know, and, and obviously that that sort of that art imitates life feeling of the the crew having to go and do that and like build this rough hewn all these rough hewn sets and it feels to me like a lot of time they just were shooting like literally the interiors on the location. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's any studio. I'm sure once they're out there, they're may, out there. I think, yeah. I mean, maybe some of the the whorehouse the whorehouse stuff. stuff is the only stuff that I thought might be might be. But still, studio. it's got a again. There's this this tactileness. Yeah, thing, it's very know? it's very authentic feeling. Well, I wonder too because what's amazing is like there's a there's a real um, pro- progression to the town being built. Yeah, and it's over the course of like two years. It feels like there's two winters. Yeah. But I, it made yeah. me wonder. It's like how did because then they go into spring too. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering. You know, nerdy filmmaker going. How did they shoot the two winters when the town was only half built? Right? Did they go back? Did, did they, they go back and shoot stuff, or did they just shoot winter, build winter it all, beginning, winter ending, and then spring? The spring was already built in. I'm sure. Yeah. But I was very impressed. Where I felt like, oh, I felt like I saw the progression of the town yeah. over the course of whatever it is, two years. It feels like the movie takes place over. Yeah, and it's kind of a weird. I mean, if you look at it that way, it, it is kind of an epic, but it's there's nothing about it. There's nothing about it that feels like a western. Nothing about it feels like it's an epic. You don't feel like there's no sense of a, of a sweep to it. It just feels like people kind of trudging through the day to day. Yeah, right? like that's. I mean, that's and again, that that's sort of I think what he wants you to feel. He wants you to feel the um, uh, the minutia. Well, it doesn't have the romanticism that a lot of westerns have. There's nothing romantic about it. No, especially, like, you, you just, at the end, I'm sitting there going, please, just get out of the opium den and go fucking find him. Yeah. He's probably 10 feet away from <laughs> me. Hopefully people have seen the movie and are not going to feel like, confused by, I'm, oh. I'm assuming people who are listening to this have seen the movie. Yeah, spoilers yeah. alert. I, I, yeah. I, assume, I assume you don't listen to this podcast <laughs> the, Yeah, if you're worried about spoilers. No, no, um, no. Given the nature of it. Yeah, like, and well, there's like, at the very end, I just went, huh. And then I think your first response as well was the 70s. <laughs> That's a, that to me is a, that to me is a, uh, a a classic kind of seventies ending. Hero dies. Somebody else is on drugs. We don't know that he dies. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's dead by the end of it. Well, you know, it's funny. I think I I read years ago that he was that he was shot at the end, but I was really surprised by not only the way and the way that it happened, and the way he kind of spirals down and who he takes with him. Yeah, that and I thought that was really great and really surprising, and I'm, and I'm I was excited to see that there wasn't. That wasn't like totally ruined for me. Oh, great! Yeah. Well, I wonder. I wasn't sure if he faked that last time that he fell. That's yeah. I thought Either way, he yeah. was still shot up by the other guy. Sure, sure. Well, and again, that's that's another sort of like kick against the sort of Western, um, you know, feeling is the idea of like shooting somebody in the back. Well, he's a coward he's in all three of coward. those murders. Absolutely. You know, he yeah. he sneaks up on both those first two yeah. guys. Uh, and then the last guy, he just tricks. I mean, he's smarter than them. Yeah. So there's that. It's also three against one. Yeah. Uh, why did they wait so long to kill him? That's a good question. That's one thing that I didn't understand, why they took so long to go after him. And why that... I mean, this, as great as that, the death scene with Keith Carradine's, char- Keith Carradine's character was, yeah. you also go, what was that about? Besides his power. Right. And that kid just showing... Yeah, that he what, had. That he could do that. And he and probably is the kind of kid who only has that power because of the two guys he hangs out with. He's kind of their what their water boy essentially. Yeah, you know. And but also there's a smartness to it. Like he made him go for his gun, so we can say, "Hey, yeah, yeah, right." He was drawing his gun. There's a little bit of a you know what I kept, I kept thinking of, even though stylistically very different films. I kept thinking of of um, uh, Unforgiven and sort of the the ugliness. Yeah, that guy of that film. Well, just the whole. Well, yeah, for sure. The, like the kid. Yeah. Schofield kid. But yeah, but just the whole feeling of just, you know, the dirt and the mud and, and there's, there's, you know, there's nothing sexy about the West in, in either of these films. Again, very different approaches, but it just feels like, oh yeah, this is probably how it was. 
you know, and again, like the weird, and, and I like that it applies these, uh, I mean, going back to the humor, this, this, these sort of like oddball conversations people probably would have, like the guy, the guy with the mustache, that yeah. was like, how, how would I look if I just turned off? He's like, I don't think you should do it. <laughs> like, of course people have always had those conversations. But it's amazing that you're watching that in a, in a Western from the 70s. Like, yeah. You expect that's the kind of stuff you see in a Western comedy made now. now. You know, but it's mm-hmm. just it's just thrown in there. And then there was that moment when um, the one guy was with one of the prostitutes. And you just catch a snippet of their conversation. Yeah. And, like, and she's half naked. And she says, well, you got to listen to me. Let me finish my story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't know what's going on, but like, that's all you need to get. Yeah, like, what I love about Altman is you just these little these little tableaus. Of moments, yeah, of like real life and real yeah. conver- and mundane minutiae conversations that are hilarious and reveal so much about character. Absolutely, and it's always like a like a really revealing line or two, and then he just the camera keeps moving right past it to something else. And you get like this weird because because you really get to know the whole town. Like when those first three prostitutes that he buys for two hundred dollars come along, mm-hmm. and the was it two for one Liz? No, two for one Lil. Lil, yeah. Who then becomes the chef, yeah, I guess. Basically, yeah. But there's one moment where she has, someone comes up to her and she says, I'm not a whore anymore. Yeah, whatever yeah. Whatever she says anymore. A chippy? A chip, she calls them chippies. They call them chippies, which I guess, I've, you know, I've heard that term, obviously, chippy, referred to for like, you know, someone's girlfriend or, or, or in, in sort of a derogatory way. Sure. Like I'd never heard it before. You're with some chippy. Huh. Yeah. But, but uh, I, didn't, I never, I didn't know that that's what it meant. Yeah, like she's around, and even the other one that didn't have any teeth, I guess. Yeah, became yeah. like a maid of some sort. And then there's the the one who the, the girl, the girl yeah. who fought back. Yeah, <laughs> with a knife. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I'm kind of glad she got out of there. I'm hoping they didn't do anything bad to her. No, I feel like she, I feel like like I don't feel like McCabe would would have allowed that. No, the look on his face is like, okay, I shouldn't have brought her. Yeah, this was a bad idea. Well, even before the scene before when he's buying those girls, he's like, I want three for 200. Mm-hmm. The guys will come on and make a deal. And I think the deal is like, you're going to get this one girl who's yeah, not yeah. experienced at all. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And then Julie Christie just like f- swoops into town. <laughs> that introduction scene of her is amazing. Mm. Where, like, was it four eggs, stew, yeah, and strong and, tea? Yeah, and strong tea. It's always nice when you can see a, a woman eat a lot on screen. Well, that's what I loved about it. Like, yeah. There's nothing. Like, as beautiful as she is, there's nothing overtly feminine about her. No, and also you think, yeah, like, she's been on that, that steam engine for six hours, driving up a mountain in the snow. And she like, doesn't she's care. Star- she's starving. Like, you gotta eat. Like, this is your source of protein for the day. Yeah, and, and she's not putting any efforts to try to impress McKay. No, not at all. You know, she, in fact, it's the opposite. She's coming in him here and telling him that she's got his number. Yeah, and here's how we're gonna do it. And what is it? He has a really funny reaction. It's a wordless reaction, but he makes a sound that's so... Like, what does he do? It's I don't funny. know. It's, remember, remember, we both Yeah, laughed. yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's just got so many little things he does. And it made me... I was kind of hoping for more of Julie Christie in the movie. Yeah. Um, given the title. Because the title of the book is just McCabe, and they right. added the and Mrs. Miller to yeah. the film. So I, was, I guess I was just... I guess ho- because she was his girlfriend, or she had been his girlfriend. In real life? Yeah. Yeah, they had had a... A love affair. So I'm not sure if they were still together when they did this, or. But I mean, I think he was pretty supportive of her as an actor and really wanted, you know. If, I don't know. What, I'd love to know what the backstory is about how it all came together. I think I know that I've read about it, and probably in like the uh, the Peter Bart book, and not Peter Bart, the um, um, Peter Berg. <laughs> the Peter Berg. The Peter, the Peter Berg. Berg. No, in, in Easy Riders, Raging Bull. Right, right, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's this thing. I'm pretty sure it was a. There's a section on McCabe and Mrs. Miller in there because it would have fallen out of MASH, as you were saying. Um, so it would have been an important film. I can't well, this was a box Peter office Bissett. failure. It was. Oh, I can imagine. Western with a down ending? Yeah. 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 Uh, but, but it didn't hurt his career by any means. No. I think it was a critical success, um, but just didn't find an audience. Well, so let's talk about the Leonard Cohen music now that we've actually watched the movie. I... I Personally, I thought it was great. I was singing along some of those. Yeah, I mean, I know yeah. some of them. Yeah. So I, I love the the use of um, oh god, Stranger I'm Song. Is not Stranger Song. The when Winter the, Lady. No, That's, the uh, oh, Sisters, Sisters of Mercy. Mercy. Sisters of Mercy for the girls for the chippies. Yeah, when they were coming the in, I, just, I was sitting there singing singing along to it. I loved. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I think I've ever heard him sing it with his younger voice. Oh yeah. 
There was Serena Ryder has an amazing version of that song too. If you've never heard it, oh, I'll I'll check it out. Well, there's a lot of I, I noticed that there were, there were a lot of acoustic versions of songs, and I, and I felt at one point that there was a different version of Winter Lady. So I I guess he must have re-recorded some stuff just for Altman for the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just him and a guitar, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's very simple, it's very sparse, but it works yeah. really well. It really does, and because they almost sound like, uh, like they, I mean, they're, they are, they're, they're ballads. They have, there's a timelessness to them that really works. And I can't recall without my head, was there other music in the movie, or was it just the Leonard Cohen I think it's Leonard Cohen, and the, and, our, and the Fiddler. And the Fiddler, yeah. You know. Or the, there's a couple of ambient yeah, instruments stuff inside. Yeah, but it inside. also sounded like it was Leonard Cohen on the guitar, it never felt like... Yeah. Was there anything other that was nothing symphonic so. or anything? No, because yeah. everything, even that final, it was just it was that great clash of them putting out the church fire, so like with the chaos yeah. and the quiet of the storm. Yeah, and just him walking around and trying not to be caught. Oh my god! Like what a what an image! So much great imagery in the movie. Beautifully shot. Well, and especially when you think about like people, you know, were not accustomed to shoot against that much white, mm-hmm. especially in the seventies, right? So what a what a bold choice to go. Hey, there's a giant snowstorm going on. Imagine the crew. It's like fuck off, Altman. Like, <laughs> Look at it outside. He's like, grab the cameras. We're shooting the ending. Well, and then Warren Beatty's wandering around. He doesn't even have that that huge fur coat that he has at the beginning of the film. He's just wandering around in like a light jacket. And he, I mean, he goes for it. Yeah, that's what impressed me about it. Is that? I wondered if because he's got that giant jacket when when Butler shows up and he says he's here to hunt bear. If that was a reference to him and that jacket. Oh, that's that. That's a good point. It probably was. That was one of the one thing that I did find with the film, and I know this is sort of notorious. Uh, the film sort of notorious for this, is that the dialogue is occasionally kind of hard to discern. You know, and I think well, he's got the cigar in his mouth for the whole opening scene. Yeah, but there's also the. I mean, the mix is very. There's there's a muddiness to the mix that is intentional. Apparently, there was that was a big. I do remember this. I do remember that was a point of contention between Beatty and. Altman. Altman wanted it to be muddier, to be more realistic, to feel like you're just being, uh, you know, thrown in headfirst into this world, and you got to kind of fend for yourself the same way that the, the characters are, the same way that the McCabe character is. Um, which is a great, which is a, which is again like a pretty bold, it's a pretty bold choice to make, and I can understand why someone like Warren Beatty would be, <laughs> would would you know fight back against that. And yeah, sometimes I'm, I was a little. I mean, we. I think there were a few times when you and I would turn to, to each other and say, "Okay, so wait, who who's that? What what has happened?" And yeah, it's a little. It's got There's that, a lot we're tracking. It's a lot, and I, and I do, but I do feel like if you watched it again, all those things would be a little clearer. Yeah, because it really is about. It's almost documentary style. Like you're just kind of, you know, it's about observing behavior a lot of the time. Yeah, it took a second. Well, what well, to realize that those guys had bought out the. The other saloon keeper, because they made a reference by he bought for sixteen hundred, I think it was. Yeah. And then he's like, "Well, you sure got ripped off." Yeah. <laughs> he's he mocked them. Yeah. Uh. What else? The opening. I loved. I loved that. Like, what was it? Twelve, sixteen minute opening where he just shows up, and people are instantly showing some kind of respect. Yeah. You don't know why. He just walks out and grabs this, this the red felt. The red table. You don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. then instantly, like I just love how 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 they eased us into his character mm-hmm. and just the little the little whisperings and it's like oh I heard he shot this guy. And yeah, you, just, you start to learn about him just really simply and casually. Yeah, and the and the the gossip and the whispers. Like that's again that's how news would have traveled back then, right? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Uh, this is this is a bit of a divergence from where we're going, but. There's something about his character, but the way that he kind of creates his own mythology and the way he kind of is an entrepreneur. Um, he's obviously nothing like this character, but he reminded me a little bit of, um, in the spirit of like a Daniel Plainview. Mm. You know? Obviously the, the opposite. The opposite of him in so many ways. But this idea of like this guy, you know, these guys who would just like show up, put stakes down... They'd have some money to invest in something, and they would like they would you know people would would gather around. Like they would they would they would flock to these charismatic characters. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he's the bumbling version of Daniel. Plainview. He's the that's, I kept thinking sort of like the bumbling and kind of like leads with his heart version of Daniel Plainview. Yeah, yeah. and you get the the idea that if if he'd have eventually been able to make this deal mm-hmm. with this company, 
He'd picked up. He'd pick up and move on and, and start a new and start a new town somewhere else. Yeah. He just. I mean, he made the mistake of trying to bargain too hard, and they just were like, "All right, well, fuck this guy." Yeah. <laughs> like we're gonna, we're gonna send in Butler. Yeah, and then I just loved <laughs> how you know Butler just we were kind of talked about it, but just just lets him just hang himself, and then in the end he's like, "I don't make deals." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's too late, man. Yeah. You, that's that's over. I mean, that's, so why do you, why do you think that they let him live for so long? Because he could have easily just like shown up and shot him. Whether did they want to did they want to let, let, him? let him twist in the wind a bit? I mean, yeah. Like, what's the what's the mo behind that? I don't know. Mm. That's 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 the one flaw of the movie for me is like, I don't understand the cat and mouse of yeah. that. Um, like I loved the whole bit where he goes and he talks to the lawyer in the other town. Who is William du- William Duvane? Yeah, who is almost as big of a villain as anyone when you look at it. Like yeah. that guy's probably never left his office. Yeah. Well, he was. You know? What did he say? He was a congressman or a senator in Washington? Yeah. Yeah. It just you feel like he's this. It makes you, it makes you feel like oh yeah you know what shit shit hasn't changed. You have these guys who are you know they want to get in the Washington Post and they want to make a name for themselves and. You know, he just feels like a just feels like a slick operator. Yeah, because they never follow up on that. No, it's not like he's waiting for the paper to come out. No, or the, the paper comes out, and that's why they kill him. Well, it, it seems kind of arbitrary. It just feels like he goes and has that nice evening with Julie Christie, mm-hmm. he, and, he, and he's yeah, he's kind of pumped up about it. But part of me, I was also felt like when Devane's character starts talking about, oh, we can get you in the paper, you'll be like a famous guy, and I started to feel like. I bet there's a part of him that doesn't want this because then people are going to start digging into his past. The things that he said are going to turn out to... The people will learn that he's he's been bullshitting them about certain certain things. It, it felt like he, he was kind of going along with it, but I could see there was something behind his eyes where it's like he, there was almost like a fear there. Well, I mean, it, it, the only thing he says in response really is that I just don't want to die. Yeah, yeah. He's a coward. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um... But it makes it makes sense knowing that the ending was kind of improvised because it didn't feel like it was a buildup. It wasn't like why did he know that that was the morning they were going to go after him? Right. Yeah. True. You know. True. So that's the flaw with the ending. It feels that we don't. There's not enough. It's not leading towards something. It mm-hmm. just feels like all of a sudden now we're in the ending. Right. Um, but that's all. That's Altman as well, right? Like, the guy subverts expectations at every turn. So it yeah. fall, it's it's part of his mo. So it, it doesn't feel out of place with him, but just as a movie, it feels slightly less satisfying. Well, it also feels like if they'd wait around and and you know let him uh, let him sweat, it just gives him more time to think of a way to get out of it or think of a plan to fight back. I mean, maybe part of it is just like wanting to scare him off. Yeah, you know? it, I mean, it doesn't seem like they're too. Yeah, well, I mean, part of, they thought he just leave, they can avoid the bloodshed. Yeah, because I mean, part of it, in a way, you've got all of the elements of a western. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, the uh, the small town. You've got the the guy who is trying to protect the town, but not really. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 big gunmen coming in to take over the town, but no one's really opposing them either. Yeah, you know, they're okay with those guys being there. And even, you know, there's that moment where they, they shoot Carradine, and, but nobody goes, why'd you do that? <laughs> like, nobody's going to stand up to those guys. Like, oh, There's no sheriff. There's no sheriff in town. There's no sheriff in town, uh, but all the men are, like, neutered by yeah. this butler guy. Like, no one is even looking his way in the wrong way. Yeah. You know, because they just don't want to be next, I guess. Yeah, and I mean... And- uh, yeah, Beatty is the closest thing to the to a Gary Cooper character in the movie. But yeah, as we've said, even he is like is, is you know a coward. He's afraid and he's not above uh, going against the laws of the West as we as we know them on screen. Which is probably which, which again is probably more accurate. I mean, all the sort of you know these sort of laws we're used to seeing these uh, uh, the sense of honor in being a cowboy that is presented uh, in Western heroes. I mean, I'm sure it didn't exist. It's just a, it's just a construction of, you know, Hollywood. Yeah, you have none of that. I love that little scene where he was by himself in his room, mumbling, complaining about the fact that she never, she never, she would never be sweet to him without the five dollars. 
Yeah. And he's like, he says, I have poetry in me. I got poetry in me. I'm not going to say it. I'm not foolish enough to try to put it out, but it's in me. I just got better sense than to try to use it. Yeah, the mumbling, the constant sort of uh, um, muttering to himself kind of reminded me a little of, of Elliot Gould in The Long Goodbye, which is one of my, probably my favorite album movie. Right. You know, which also is, is a film that Buck's genre convention plays with, you know, plays with a very familiar Hollywood genre. In that case, like the, the, the detective movie. That's so, so unsatisfying. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He, Beatty had a great mo- when just near the beginning of the film, when they're building the first whorehouse, and he's, t- he's trying to sell the guys about monkeys. I don't know, monkey tricks. Oh, he says, he says, like, girl's got more tricks than a. Was the monkeys on a grapevine? Something. something crazy like that. And what was that expression he had? Something like, you got shit in your pocket? You got a turd in your pocket? What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. I love that he also is, is you know, if a frog had wings, he Bump his ass, maybe. Yeah, bump his ass a hopping. I know that. I understand. Heard, I don't know what he means by that, though. Yeah. I feel like sometimes he just says stuff. I feel like he just has these little, little, little phrases that he uses. And nobody wants to admit they don't know what they <laughs> exactly, mean. Yeah, that's what I, th- I think, too, for sure. And that's kind of part of it. Is that everyone's just bullshitting everyone else. Yeah. You know, nobody knows what they're doing. Because it is the Wild West. Yeah. So it's an almost, almost but not even I mean yeah you, I mean it, it is and it isn't right like it's it's just there's, there's just a lawlessness yeah yeah and that's what well it's, it's not the West in the sense that it's like yeah it's in the desert or yeah right? it's but it's it's, it's, yeah, it's that time of yeah life where there's no sheriff there's no this you know this girl stabbed that guy it's like well maybe it was her fault maybe it wasn't we're just not gonna like if McCabe had, if McCabe had lived none of those got, no one had a witness to any of those. Deaths, mm-hmm. you know, those, I couldn't call them, I guess you'd call them murders, technically. Yeah. Uh, but no, I wonder what the follow-up from that would have been. And how long do they find, like, after that snowstorm, they're probably not going to find McCabe for a day or two. Yeah, well, I was wondering, what year was it? Was it 70, 71? Yeah. Because I kept, I started to so think. Then, oh, look up. I got yeah. it right here. Yeah. 71. As soon as um, they established the date, as soon as they established the year, I started to, I started to to kind of roll it back in my mind, I'm like, God, you know, when this movie came out, that was only 70 years before. It's only set 70 years before. That'd be like a movie now set in the 40s. We don't think of a, a film set in the 40s as being this, uh, you know, inhospitable alien uh, landscape. Like, it's, you know, we, we it's it's glamorous. We get it. Like, it's it's modern. Like, this this was, this. I mean, there's something so, there's something, there's such a rawness about it. It's amazing to think that it was so, uh, it was so recent. Well, and, and there were people alive when this film came that's out. That's it. Who were there. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> they could have interviewed people and asked them how it was. Like, that's in... That, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, the fact that it's like... It seems so barbaric, but mm-hmm. it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. It's ter- I, I'm, I'm constantly terrified just thinking what the future is. Oh, right. Like, it's going to be like the road. Yeah. It's going like, to be like this. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic. Yeah, I think that's a closer yeah. proximity than yeah than flying spaceships. Yeah, the, the new the new West. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's almost a genre. I mean, that's kind of like The Walking Dead is what that, that has come become right the zombie western. Um, and there's there's another there's I mean that's, even like Firefly. Firefly is like this, the you know future western. Yeah, you know the front the frontier the new frontier. That's almost what it is. Like it's like po- apocalypse stories of the new westerns. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting point. Because it's, there's lawlessness. People are usually, usually trying to survive, which is all this was. You know, it's just, we're just trying to get by. It's like yeah, that person killed that person, but they probably deserved it. Yeah. But it's just. I mean, what's nice about it though is that it's got that. It's got that hard scrabble quality to it. It's got that. Um, you know, very, everybody has to be very, very like flinty and, and live by their wits. But at the same time, yeah, there's a lot of like humor and humanity and and you know warmth to it as well which is which was again that was like one of the nicest surprises for me yeah the characters were in the story was so well-rounded and yeah. three-dimensional yeah. that you got a sense you really got a sense of this town mm-hmm. you know and it made you go this is kind of, it might have been kind of an exciting place to be yeah when it didn't suck <laughs> you know it's like you go you play cards at night it's I mean, a, yeah a cool little community yeah it's like it's it's a warmer version of deadwood Right. 
you know. Right. And, and McCabe's got a, you know, he's the he's the Al Swearingen of this this era, where yeah. it's a similar racket. Benevolent Al Swearingen. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's paying the guys 15 cents an hour to work for him to build the town, and those guys are then going, taking that 15 cents and spending it on whores and booze that are going right back in his pocket. Yeah. You know, these guys are essentially just working for free. Yeah. <laughs> it feels a little bit like, when you put it that way, it feels like it's a bit like a ski town or something. Yeah. Right? right? Like, it kind of, you know, it kind of is. They're just, everyone's hanging out and doing their thing. Yeah, the money they, they make on the slopes, they yeah. go and they spend in the yeah. bar. Yeah, We're owned by the same people. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a very, there's a very, um, uh, it's a very... Cl- cyclical. Cyclical and distilled community. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, no, you're right. Like, I, I, that is, there's a part of it that even though I was watching, like, this looks really miserable, I thought, well, it'd be kind of nice to actually, like, go down, everything's right there in the little town, you go, hey, it's like, you know... You really know your neighbors. It's a shitty version of, like, Mont Tremblant. <laughs> there, you, <laughs> you know? there you go. Yeah. I mean, I'm from a small town, so I go, I feel like that's a nice little, there's something nice about the Western. And I just love, I mean, this isn't, I wouldn't, it's hard to call this really an ensemble. Mm-hmm, no. Because um, it's not really, but there's also those elements you're starting to see. Well, I guess you're not starting to see Masters before this. But you see how Altman does really well with, Lots of characters mm-hmm. and making sure people have those moments that we talked about earlier. Those just those little vignettes that just give us windows into these people and create fuller fuller experiences for who they are. So when they do show up and a little moment later on, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. The the kind of weaselly guy that owned the other saloon. Um, oh, I forget. Yeah, you know, like he's a goofball. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just desperate for for warm. Oh, oh, him. you mean? Um, um... Um, Sheehan. That was his name. Yeah, was? yeah, yeah. Like he just when he, when he falls, yeah. remember when he falls him out when he goes to hear piss. He's like, yeah. Where are you going? He's like, oh, I was following you. Where are you going? Yeah, going over the fence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know that guy out there peeing. You know who he is? <laughs> He's McCabe. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, what's his name? Is Rene Aubourgeonois? Uh, yeah, he used to be, yeah. But just so he's, he's a good ball. But then he's there's that good. there's that great moment when um. Uh, uh, Keith Carradine mm-hmm. uh, is on that bridge and you, you keep on cutting over to him and the other guys that are on his hat and you just look at him and all, you're just thinking the whole time he's just saying please don't do this yeah. please, whatever you're about to do please don't do yeah. it you know and all we know about that guy on the bridge is that he went to the whorehouse and slept with every and had single a great time. yeah because I, I, I think he showed up what like two months earlier in the story yeah and he just made a comment. He came down after with one of the girls, and he said something like, who's next? And one of the girls says, well, who do you want? He's like, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to get with all of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they all love him, too. Yeah, he's a really lovable character. He's a kid, essentially. And, I, and I, it's interesting, too, because you, you kind of you set him up. And it's because, you know, McCabe senses the walls are closing in because the guys have already visited from the mining company. You think at first he's, one, he's somebody who's been sent to kill him. Yeah. Right? And that's a nice little bit of foreshadowing. But he said he's just a goofy kid. He's just a goofball. Who just says, it's been so long yeah. since I yeah. had a piece of ass. Or something. Yeah, I think that's his line, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't realize, you you had to point it out that it was Keith Carradine. Well, he's so young. Yeah, well, as soon he's, as you said it, I could see it yeah. in him. But he's so goofy, goony looking in this movie. Yeah, like I saw him as like a male version of Shelley Duvall. Right. You know? And, that, and that's, so I wonder if this was like a discovery role for him. It had to have been early on. I mean... You know, uh, but Altman has like a love for those kind of oddball faces, you know. Yeah, yeah, and obviously his brother was already, <coughs> you know, David Carradine was already doing had done kung right. fu, and you know he does show up. Carradine shows up for that one little scene in uh, Long Goodbye when Philip Marlowe's in jail, and and David. I think he's even. I think he even calls him David. I think he's supposed to be playing himself, like in you know, in jail overnight for for, for raising hell somewhere. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Who would you... If you're remaking this movie today, who would you cast as McCabe? James Franco. He's got that same... Oh, amazing! Right? Wouldn't he be good? He's got that same kind of quality. That's a great... I never in a million years would have thought of him. But he'd be great. You know who also would be great? Seth Rogen. That's interesting. But him playing completely straight. Yeah. And not trying to do any winks. That's interesting. Hmm. 
I see. I he's see, got the more of the body type. Yeah, I could see him more as I could see Seth Rogen more as one of the other guys. But again, like playing it straight as one of like we, as he could be like Sheehan or something. No, he'd be the guy with a should I shave my beard? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there is that. Let me Jordan Hill. <laughs> but there is that sort of like. You know, you, Apatow version of this well, movie. Yeah, but there's sort of a, a mumblecore quality to it, right? There's sort of like this, everybody kind of like finding little moments. You wonder how much it was scripted. I feel like some of that stuff couldn't have been. There's, I feel like that I, that moment feels like it was it was, could have been improvised. The whole beard catching thing. little things. Yeah. Oh, we'll come back. We'll now can now we'll have you shave, and then we'll have you know him come in, and you can ask him how you how he likes your 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 shave. And then she need like Rose Byrne as as the Julie Christie character. <laughs> this really is the Avatar. Yeah. You know, well, if you're going, okay, if you're going with that casting. Yeah. I love the Franco. I never would have thought of him. Who were you thinking? I don't know. I, I, Seth I, Rogen or you know, I mean, who would be interesting um, is is uh, in uh, No Country for Old Men. Oh, Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. That's interesting. I mean, because he's also a guy who who kind of plays against his handsomeness a lot. Yeah, because you. Yeah. Could, I mean, it's similar to the No Country character in a lot of ways. Yeah, or his character he plays in True Grit, that weird, because he plays Tom Chaney. But I think yeah. he, but then he has like does he have like a weird lisp or something when she he, he you finally meet him and he speaks. He has yeah. like a weird, really weird voice. Because the nice thing about Brolin is that he can lean into character, the non-conventional yeah. moments of himself, where he can play that bumbling version. You and you'd expect the other side from him. Well, the same as, like, Beatty. Beatty's a leading man. Yeah. You know, but he does things that you're not expecting. He's making different choices. Have you ever seen him in uh, The Parallax View? No. Oh, that's a that's one you should do on this sh- show. That's a great... One of the great kind of, like, early 70s paranoid thrillers. Like Alan, Alan Pakula directed it. Right. And he does sort of a similar thing where he's, you know, he's an investigative journalist. He's investigating this um, mysterious organization. And... Uh, he's also kind of, he's kind of a coward. Like, he's brave enough to, to be doing it, but he is always trying to, like, duck out of scene, and he's a bit of a smartass, and, uh, but he's not, he's not a physical character. He's not, like, a fighter or anything. He's sort of always sneaking around, so, uh, I think of him in that, I think if, uh, that, that's kind of, that was sort of, like, my introduction to, to sort of 70s Warren Beatty, and, uh, yeah, the, I find, I always find him really fascinating. I don't, because there's, there's so few, I can't think of very many actors who have that quality, Male actors who have that, you know, lead, lead actors from yeah from at, the seventies on. In that era, he must have been a bit of a revelation. You know, a very unique, unique actor in, in that regard. Yeah, and it's like you'd never make a movie like this today. You'd never get it made. No, the amount of money it would cost to do it the way they did with the sets and all that kind of stuff. The only film that I can think of that was a little bit like this, um, and actually stylistically, it's very close. Have you ever seen this Michael Winterbottom film called The Claim? No. It's, uh, you should see it because it's interesting. It, it's shot a lot like this. It's also set in a little mining town. Um, it's a remake. Uh, no, not, not a remake, rather. It's an adaptation of some Thomas Hardy novel. And in really cast, like Sarah Pauly is in it, uh, Wes Bentley, mm. Mia Jovovich. Um, but it has that same feeling. Oh, and um, um, uh, uh, Julian Richings is in it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's but it's like they've built a little town in the middle in the middle of the mud. Amazing! It's amazing. I made, I think it made like ten dollars. That was like for me going to see it. But it uh, <laughs> but it has it's, but it has a very similar feel. But yeah, you're right. Like this would have to be now. This would have to be a TV series if you're going to do it. Yeah, it'd be a Netflix series. It'd be Deadwood. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it, but I mean, again, like I don't think people would have the patience for this kind of like. Um, you know the sort of the the spaciness that the movie has, the sort of like the druggy spacey quality. Well, they try to turn it into a typical western. Yeah, what you do. You have to like, yeah. well, what's he fighting for? Because you yeah. don't really, It's not yeah. until they show up halfway through the movie, yeah. that really any kind of plot kicks in. There's nothing. He doesn't have goals besides right like that, that are ever outwardly stated. Yeah. You know, she's the one that comes in and she's like, "You need to make a business out of this. You're an idiot." Yeah. <laughs> She she really was great, wasn't she? And she and she's smart. You know, she's interesting. Like you can tell you. She's not trying to impress anybody. No, she's not flirting with anybody. She's really that moment, a woman. Yeah, they walk in and it's like, how much to get with the one girl? It's like a buck fifty. How much for? Yeah, Ms. McCabe or Ms. Miller. Miller. Five bucks. Yeah, and he turns like really five bucks. She's like, yeah. 
He's like, all right. He's like, okay. <laughs> Must be worth it. I mean, I feel like those qualities that we're describing are probably qualities that, um, you know, again, I want to I want to do some research into uh, the backstory about how she was brought into the project, but I feel like those are probably qualities that she had that, that Warren Beatty admired in her. Like, she always seems like a real, you know, uh, individual as yeah. a woman. You know, like she really goes her own way. And, and she kind of is, I mean, she's, she's as much of a, you know, a sore thumb as, as he is. Like they're both entrepreneurs, but they're also both like, you know, kind of exist outside. She's, she, she exists outside the world of, of the prostitutes and he really exists outside the world of like the working men. You know, they're, they, it's, it's, it's natural that they would find each other. Yeah, but it's like the ending is just so, like, you hope. Mm. Like, what happens to his business at the end? Yeah. Does it go to her? Yeah, like, what? No, I feel like then the mining company comes in. Because technically no one owns it. No one owns Unless it. Unless he had a will. Yeah, no, no. I feel like they just come in and take it over. No one's going to stop it. No, I don't think so. Maybe she, I mean, maybe she does. Maybe that's a sequel. Mrs. Miller, she's, lo- <laughs> she's yeah, she's armed and dangerous. We need to make the, the, the 40 years later anniversary sequel of McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Yeah. Uh, yeah, any final thoughts? Um, no, other than the fact that I'm really glad that I finally saw it. And it was nice to see it, you know, uh, on, a big, on a big canvas like this because it is such a beautiful film. Yeah, I'm looking forward to diving deeper into the, the, the Criterion disc has a making of behind the scenes Oh, really? Stuff, so I'm interested to see... Any making up of that area is, is amazing to me. Is it from the era, or is it, is it uh, new interviews with everybody? There's new interviews. There's a, there's a commentary from 2002 with him. With who? With, with, with Altman? Altman, yeah. Oh, I wonder if it's on my DVD. It says, new making of documentary featuring members of the cast and crew, so I bet you, yeah, it's interviews from now. Mm-hmm. Probably not a lot of footage from the, uh, the time, which is too bad. Yeah. Because there are a few, a few films from that era that have some really great making ups. Like the Butch Cassidy one is pretty. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, so great. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever listened to an Altman commentary. I hear they're kind of sparse. Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, but I mean, I'm so fascinated by him as a director. I'm so fascinated by, you know, the atmosphere, the party atmosphere he would bring to a set. You know, he would all. It would be like a fun thing. I mean, you know, do you have that Altman interview book? No. Oh, oh should... Altman on Altman? No. no, no, there's one that's, um, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say it's an interview. Well, it's interviews in the sense that it's an oral history, basically, of, of him from his beginnings or right up to no. the end of Oh, it's great. I think it's just called, I think it's just called Robert Altman or it's called Altman. And, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, a lot of Michael, Michael Murphy tells lots of stories in there. And, you know, I mean, he would, because every night he would, he would have the dailies, scream the dailies, and everybody would be invited to watch the dailies, and everybody would, like, you know, drink wine, smoke pot, like hang out. And it was just like, you know, like an adventure when you were making a movie with him. Yeah. But nobody, that, that's lost now. Nobody screams dailies anymore. Yeah. It's a shame. It's you a should loss. bring it back, Jeremy. Bring this, well, it'd be easy. You can literally just, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, you have that technology now. You can just at the end of the day, let's just sit and watch. They the literally would be the day. dailies. They wouldn't be like the next day. Like you could watch them that night. Just if you shot that day. That yeah. Night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I should start bringing it back. I think I, might, I have a couple of things I might be doing up north. That'd be a fun way to do it, especially when you're all sequestered anyway. It would be a little like this. Yeah, get yeah. together and just throw it up on the screen and just watch what you shot that day. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's some... Well, again, like it, it, it does kind of feel like I mean, the movie and the sense of camaraderie in the town before things start to go sideways. I mean, I'm sure that's a lot what it was like to be, you know, on the crew. Like, that, that he, he loves... You get a sense that he really loves that sense of, of community. Yeah. People working together. Yeah, which is what this movie feels like. Yeah. yeah. A scared community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to step up. Well, those are the studio guys coming in. It's true. That's what... <laughs> Butch and those guys are a metaphor for the studio coming in. Yeah. Well, it's kind of what it is. It's like when you think about like his kind of... You know, the, the, the story is about you can't fight the big guy. Yeah. You know? You, you can fight back and, and try to take them down with you, but ultimately they're going to beat you. Well, you know, it's funny because you think about all those those uh, characters from that era that, of uh, you know, when he was making films and making a name for himself, they were all these uh, iconoclastic characters like, you know, Hawkeye and and um, Trapper John and, or, and MASH and... 
Philip Marlowe and and John McCabe and Mrs. Miller like they were they were all like sort of pushing against conventional society in some way you know they're all kind of a little bit of, they're they're kind of they're all outsiders but they're all kind of commenting on on society at the same time yeah you know and he and, and we have uh, and he's like that McCabe is doing it reluctantly but he's still doing it he's doing it like he's in his own way yeah 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 so I'm sure that all I'm sure that's and that's as he was funding his group because he'd done tons of TV he'd done like Gilligan's Island episodes and I didn't know that I'm pretty sure I could be maybe I'm crazy but I feel like he did Gilligan's Island along with other kind of you know shows like Combat and I want to say like Rat but no maybe not Rat Patrol but shows of that ilk of the era just sort of like you know directors plug in plug out like Richard Donner was doing it too uh, and to and to be able to like you know well. I'll tell you this is I know we're trying to wrap it up, but a friend of mine uh, in New York has is a big Altman fan, and he's run into uh, Michael Murphy repeatedly to the point where they actually like are buddies now. But the yeah. first time he ran into him was like in a Bed Bath and Beyond, and he do yeah yeah and he went up to him and he said, um, you know I don't know if you have any time, but do you have time to like get a coffee and like so I can like ask you about Robert Altman. He's like, sure. And they went and got a coffee and like told he told him all these like great stories about you know when he was working with him on TV shows and movies and uh, you know and he was a guy who would get fired from from shows because he he would literally like make up a script. He'd right. Given a script and he would like make it up and my friend was like, did he care? He's like, no, he didn't give a shit. And they fired him. Yeah. And they went on to the next thing. <laughs> you know, and that, and that's who these these characters like feel like they represent that that quality in Allman, that reality's yeah. quality. And he finally found his his right way to do that. His niche, yeah. yeah. And he wasn't a young guy; he was like in his forties when he when he finally found it, which is which is pretty inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I really loved it. I'm really glad we uh, yeah. just kind of randomly picked this movie. Yeah. Thanks for buying it. Thanks for thanks thanks Criterion Sale. Thanks Barnes and Noble for your <laughs> uh, your Criterion Sale. Uh, well, thanks for coming out, man. Hey, man. My pleasure. I hope we'll do it again soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us from McCabe and Mrs. Miller. After recording, Chris and I both agreed that probably the perfect casting for a remake of this movie would be Ryan Gosling and maybe Anne Hathaway. Or a million other amazingly talented females working there. But I'd want to expand the part because as great as Julie Christie was in this, I thought I wanted more. If you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast, spread the word about it. You can find me on Twitter at Jeremy. And on Facebook for Blackpool Films. Also, leave a review there or wherever you listen to this. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, you know, all those fun ones. And until next time, get out there and watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby.